All right. Well, let's go ahead and uh, turn in our Bible to John chapter 1. John chapter number 1. And uh, I'm looking forward to covering these particular truths here, or this particular concept, the permanence of salvation. So just a real quick review of what we've talked about so far. So the, we've talked about the problem of salvation, uh, the holiness of God, sinfulness of man, penalty for sin. Um, we've been going through that. Uh, number two, we talked about how the fact that God made a way of salvation, the provision of salvation. And uh, number three, we talked about the price of salvation, how it was expensive, it was exclusive, it was enough. Then we talked about the process of salvation, what, what, what happens when we get saved, and then, and then after that, what, what happens from there. Um, the, the moment we're saved, we're saved from the penalty of sin, then, then currently we're saved from the power of sin. No longer do we have to sin. We've been set free from that bondage. And of course, that's why Christ came for us, not to set uh, Israel free from the bondage of the Romans, but He came to set us free from the bondage of our own sin and from the penalty of sin, and Christ did that. And so, as a believer, you can't say, the devil made me do it anymore. Uh, that, that excuse goes out the window. Uh, now you have a responsibility to follow the Lord, yield yourselves uh, to be, uh, yield yourselves under righteousness rather than to the uh, deeds of the flesh. So, uh, the presently, we are saved from the power of sin. Future, we're, we're going to be saved from the presence of sin. No longer will we have to be around that. And, uh, and, the, and the curse of sin will all be gone. And uh, that's the process of salvation. Then we talked about the prerequisites for salvation. If you remember that, what is necessary for salvation? How does someone get saved? Repentance, uh, a turning from sin unto Christ. Um, this is, that does not mean, you know, uh, it's a work-based salvation, but there, there does need to be a turning from your, uh, your sin, your, your course of life, and turning to, uh, to Christ. So, repentance, and then, of course, faith and uh, trust um, as well. And then we did take some time to go through the election of God versus the free will of man. Which is it? Yes, it's both. Um, God's Word teaches both that uh, He does know, but at the same time, He still gives us a choice. And uh, that's, uh, we looked at that and the prerequisites for salvation. And then we talked about the promises of salvation. What does salvation bring to us? What promises can we take to the bank regarding our salvation? We mentioned first our new status as a believer, and we went through, remember Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, and looked at so many different promises God gives us and so many things that He tells us we are in Christ. And those things don't change. Um, and I'm thankful for it. So uh, He gives us a new status and then He gives us a new someday. Um, we have a new someday to look forward to. We sung about that a little bit in the beginning of the service today. Uh, one, one day uh, we're going to be face to face with our Savior and it will be worth it all. And and uh, we'll lay all the sorrows aside and the burdens down and and uh, praise the Lord for that. That's our new someday. And it's sure better than the someday that we had before Christ, right? The someday that we had before Christ was an eternity in a place called hell, which eventually will turn in, will, will be taken out of the place called hell and then uh, stand before uh, the Lord Jesus at the great white throne judgment and will be judged according to our works. And at that point, we'll be thrown into the lake of fire, which burns forever and ever. Uh, that, that's, our, that's the someday that, that those without Christ have to look forward to. 
And I don't know if they look forward to it, but that's the someday that they have. But see, uh, now in Christ, we have a new someday to look forward to. Okay, so we talked about the promises of salvation, and the last couple times we spent some time talking about the product of salvation. What, what should salvation produce in us? First of all, we talked about a desire to bring glory to God. It should produce in our hearts a desire to grow in the knowledge of Christ and to walk in good works and to preach the gospel. I mean, this is what uh, God didn't take us uh, to heaven the moment we got saved. We're still here. I know that was a super profound truth, but but what 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 should that produce in our lives? Well, it should produce a desire to do those things. And last Wednesday we started talking about the the the, the last thought that we're going to cover here in the doctrine of salvation. That's the permanence of salvation, the permanence of salvation, and this is also referred to as the eternal security of the believer, and this is. Not, not everybody believes this as far as when you talk about different uh, religions and different even uh, branches of Christianity, um, but the Bible absolutely teaches the eternal security of the believer. And we're going to cover some of the, uh, some of the things that uh, the proponents um, of that or people who do not believe in eternal security, why they why they believe that and what verses they use to back up their stance on it. But this is definitely a controversial uh, or a somewhat controversial topic. But when we look at the scriptures, it's overwhelming. Uh, it overwhelmingly points to the fact that once we're saved, yes, we are indeed always saved because it's not. It's not up to us to do the saving, and it's also not us up to us to do the keeping of our salvation. See, that's that's all that's all the Lord, and and uh, you know there are some uh, there's some churches in the area uh, when you see and drive by a Free Will Baptist Church. Um, a Free Will Baptist Church uh, emphasizes the free will of man to believe, which the Bible teaches. But in that, they also go to the extent where uh, they believe that you can absolutely lose your salvation. Uh, because if you can make the choice to receive Christ, then you can make the choice to walk away from Christ and lose your salvation. That's what they believe. Okay? The, the, they completely take out the sovereignty of God in the, in the whole aspect. Now, it, God is sovereign. God is in control. Uh, God, God knows, and God is powerful, and that's what we're going to look at here. Now, Armenian theology, or the Free Will Baptists, they, they would fall into the Armenian theology camp. Um, they say that man has received salvation as an act of the will, and therefore can forfeit his salvation as an act of the will. Okay, that's what they believe, okay? Calvinistic theology, and I, I read through this last week, but just to remind us, Calvinistic theology says that a true believer will persevere in his faith. Now, this doctrine is many times referred to as the perseverance of the saints, but this title is not biblically accurate because this title places the emphasis on man's ability to persevere rather than on God's ability to keep the believer. Big difference. The eternal security of the believer does not insinuate that a believer will never backslide or fall into sin. Because if I were to ask, uh, 
okay, if there's anybody in here uh, tonight who's been saved, who has lived a 100% perfect Christian life since the moment of your salvation, would you please raise your hand? Okay. My hand is down too, because there's not a one of us that has lived a perfect 100% Christian life. Now, uh, certainly our desire is to honor the Lord and please Him and live in righteousness, but, but we all fall sh- short of that. Um, the, the thing is, is when, when someone believes, genuinely believes on Christ, uh, the eternal security of the believer means that he is forever secured by God, by His keeping power. And uh, the eternal security of the believer does not really have to do with man at all, but instead with the keeping power of God. And I gave you this example as we kind of concluded last time. Harry Ironside, or Ironside, sorry, stated that salvation was like Noah inviting pagan a pagan in his day, Noah and the ark, right? Okay, Noah inviting a pagan to uh, place his trust in God's word and come into the ark. Well, some view salvation like Noah offering to put a peg on the outside of the ark and, and saying to them, hey, look, if you just simply hang on through the storm, then you'll be saved. Um, no, salvation is not dependent on our holding on to God, but on our being securely held by and in Christ. Uh, that's not the way it worked in, uh, on the ark, right? You didn't hold on to the outside of the ark and hope that you held on long enough. No, you, you walked in by faith, and then God shut the door and keeps, that, keeps the door shut, and uh, you are safe in that, in that ark of salvation there. All right? So, John chapter 1, uh, verse number 12 is where we're at, and uh, we're going to walk through some convincing, um, convincing verses tonight uh, that prove that uh, eternal security of the believer is biblical, this is the this is the true um, this is the truth according to God's word. That once we're saved, we're always saved. Um, all right. So John one verse twelve is is one that I want to look at. Okay. Again, verse eleven. He came unto his own, his own received him not, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So the moment that. You are saved the moment that you place your faith in Christ, the moment that you believe on Him, you receive Him by believing on Him. He gives you the power to become the sons of God. You don't have the power to become the God. He gives you the power to become the the sons of God. And then at that point, you become the Son of God. Now, can that change? Um, The the idea behind this verse is, look... just like in a family situation, and I explained this last week, when, when, when God gave me the four children that he gave, he gave us, nothing's going to change the fact that um, they're my children, even if they make choices that disappoint me. And, and one of them, I don't know what happened, but one of them is a Seattle Seahawks fan. I don't know what happened. But you know what? This one's tough, but he's still my son. Barely, but he's still my son. No. He is still my son, and nothing, and, and, I, and I'm teasing about that, but, but if they ever decide, you know what, hey, I'm going to go and live my life my way, and I'm going to walk away from God, I'm going to walk away from church, I'm going to walk away from the things that I grew up knowing, 
he's still going to be my son. And if faith does that, she's still going to be my daughter. Nothing's going to sever that relationship. The fellowship might suffer, right? It may not be the same as it is when they're walking in truth, but, um, but the fellowship is broken, but, but the relationship is not broken. The relationship stays intact, even if they walk uh, away from us. And even if, even if one of them says to me, you know what? I hate you. I don't want to be your son anymore. I don't want to be your daughter anymore. They can say that, but um, now, when you, when, you, when you take that to the Christian life, would a Christian really do that to God? Would a Christian really look at the Lord and say, I don't want to be your son anymore. I don't want to be your child anymore. If they really are saved, would they really want that? That's a tough one. I would say that no real child of God who is walking and trying to uh, please his heavenly father would ever say that or ever desire to, to, to do that. But uh, there are some things that as you read through the New Testament, you can see how it's possible to um, grieve the Holy Spirit, uh, to quench the Holy Spirit, to have our conscience seared with a hot iron. I mean, it's, it's possible to go uh, and backslide to the point where, according to Peter, you even forget you were saved to begin with. And I, I believe that a real believer should be growing in their Christian life and should never, ever get to this point. But it does bring up the question, if somebody ever gets to that point, um, would God say, well, then they're not saved, they're not part of my family? Uh, I, I mean... The prodigal son, did, was he saved when he said, give me my inheritance, I want to go live for myself? You know, those are, those are questions that, you know, let, let's just go look at the scriptures and see what they say and not try to do all these what ifs and, and just follow the scriptures, all right? So uh, family is not a temporary thing, right? Tem family, once you're part of a family, you are always part of that family. Even if it's you, like, I'm going to take legal things and I'm going to change my last name. Um, well, I could do that, but it doesn't mean that my dad's not my dad anymore. Um, my dad's going to always be my, my dad. And, and in Christ, uh, he, he, we become sons of God and, and nothing will change that. All right, let's go to the next uh, convincing verse. And all of these put together, I mean, form a very convincing case that um, the eternal security of the believers is not just made up, it's, it's truth. Okay, John chapter 3, John chapter 3 and verse number, let's go to verse 16. Verse 16. For God so loved the world. Don't, don't, don't just go through it real quickly in your mind. But John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Notice this, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, should not perish, but have everlasting life. All right? So here are the promises. Those who simply believe in him, they're not going to perish but they're going to have everlasting life. So, if I have everlasting life and I fall into sin, now all of a sudden I lose my everlasting life. Well, if that's the case, it wouldn't really be everlasting life. See, so John 3.16, Jesus said, um, 
the reason that that Jesus came here is because God so loved the world and he wanted he wanted to provide that way that we talked about at the beginning of this little um, the doctrine of salvation here uh, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life by the way I love verse 16 because it is the perfect the, the promise here is both of God's mercy and God's grace God's mercy, mercy is uh, not getting something that you deserve. And all of us who are parents, when we look at our kids, we're like, boy, you deserve to be to smithereens. But um, I'm going to show you some mercy today. They deserved that uh, discipline, but, but when you don't give them that discipline, uh, because you're wanting to teach them mercy, that, that's, that's mercy. And, and, and for God to not give us what we deserve, again, uh, we talked about if you want life to be fair, you know, life's not fair. If life was fair, then all of us would be burning in a, in a place called hell right this very moment because of our sin. And that would be the fair thing for God to do in each of our lives. Um, and I'm thankful for his mercy, right, that says, you don't have to perish. But then not only is it that you don't have to perish, but later in that verse it says, but have everlasting life. That's God's grace. So God's mercy and God's grace is here because you can have everlasting life. You can spend eternity in a place called heaven that is perfect, that has, we already talked about it already tonight. There, there's no burdens. There's no, there's, no, there's no sin. There's no sorrow. There's no pain. All those things are gone. So not only do you not have to go to a place called hell, but you instead get to go to a wonderful place called heaven. See, God's mercy and God's grace and it's not just temporary life, it's everlasting life. And it's the moment that you get saved, you have that everlasting life. Okay, the next, um, uh, let's see here, uh, verse 15, go back, back up to verse 15 here of John chapter 3. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. So he calls it eternal life in verse 15, everlasting life in verse 16. And, uh, and, I'm, and I'm thankful that it, it's, it, it doesn't fade away, okay? Still in the same chapter, John 3, and look, look in verse number 36. The Bible is really hard to understand. It's sometimes what I have heard, but look at John 3, 36. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Do you have the Son? You, do, you believe, do you believe on the Son? If you do, you have everlasting life. If you don't, then you're not going to see life, and the wrath of God abides on you. I mean, it's a pretty simple verse, but again, here's that word, everlasting life. If it's everlasting life, it doesn't say... He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life so long as he does right throughout his entire life. It, it simply says, he that hath, basically, do you have the Son? If you have the Son, you have life. 
And it's not just life, it's everlasting life. Okay, then let's go to uh, John chapter number 10. John chapter 10. A lot of, a lot of, John definitely pointed out uh, in his writings the eternal security of the believer. Uh, John chapter 10 and verse number 27, and this is a, this is a key passage when it comes to eternal security for sure. But I, I just want to show you some of the other ones, and, and they all kind of, they all go together that, that form this convincing case that eternal security is truth. Okay, verse 27, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them and they follow me. And notice here again, the word eternal is mentioned, verse 28, I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Okay? Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. And of course, when Jesus said that, everybody cheered and clapped and gave him a standing ovation. Nope. Verse 31, then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. They were not, they were not pleased with that. Mainly because he said, I and my Father are one, and... But before that, he, he talks about the eternal security of the believer, that the, that the moment that you get saved, you get placed in the hand of Christ. And at that moment, no man's able to pluck you out of his hand. Okay, It's like uh, this piece of gum that I have in my hand here. And if I place it, place it in my hand and hold it, and I have Julie, come on up. Oh, wait, she's got nails. Never mind. I'm just kidding suppose a three-year-old comes up here, okay, and uh, tries to get this piece of gum out of here, and they're not going to be able to do it because it's secure. Well, it doesn't just say that when we get saved, we get placed in the hand of Christ. And verse number 27, or 28 says, uh, I'm sorry, verse 29 says, My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. So when you get saved, you get placed in the hand of Jesus. And then you get placed in the hand of the Father, and you're that secure. Okay, much more secure than this gum is right now, even with a three-year-old. Um, God has all power. No, one, no one's going to be able to do that. Um, no man's going to be able to pluck you out of his hand. Uh, you're completely secure in his hand. And if you say, well, look, I can lose my salvation, you're, you're saying that God's grip is not strong enough. That's what you're saying. And my, my friend, he has all power, does he not? Um, that there's nothing stronger than his grip. So he, he gives unto us eternal life. They shall never perish. I mean, these, these are very clear words here. They, they cannot be misunderstood. Okay, let's go on to the next one. And most of us have heard all that in John chapter 10. But let's look at a, a few more here. John chapter 14, verse number 27. John 14, verse 27. Uh, peace I leave unto with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Why did I put that verse here? I don't know. Let's go on to the next one. <laughs> I don't know if I have the right reference there or not. That's a great verse. Peace I leave unto you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. 
All right. Well, let's move on to the next one then. Romans 8. Romans 8. Romans 8 is a good one too. John chapter 10 and Romans 8 are the ones that are definitely um, eternal security passages for sure. Romans 8.35. Well, let's go ahead and... Boy, we can't... Romans 8 is just a powerful chapter of the Scriptures, and I wish we had time to go through it all tonight. But uh, let's go ahead and pick it up in verse number 31. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? That's good to be reminded of, isn't it? God before us, who can be against us? We are, we are a majority with God. I, we've been in our Sunday school class going through Gideon's life in the last few weeks, and we've been learning about Gideon and his 300 men that he had and against 135,000 men. And if God be for us, who can be against us? 135,000 against 300 is nothing when God is on your side. And God was able to do it and win the victory. Uh, and if God be for us, who, who can be against us? Okay, that's not what we want to get to here. It's just hard not to get to preaching when you see other things here. Okay, verse 32. Oh, I love this verse too. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? I mean, just the truths that are found in this particular chapter are just so precious verse 33 who shall lay anything to the charge of god's elect it is god that justifieth who is he that condemneth it is christ that died yea rather that is risen again who is even at the right hand of god who also maketh intercession for us and then here it is verse 35 who shall separate us from the love of christ what about tribula tribulation or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. Oh, as it is written, for thy sake we are counted, we are killed all the day long, we are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And then here's kind of the climax of it in verse 38. I am persuaded. Because of all that, I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Can somebody say amen? Wow, what a passage. What, what words, what truth. But Paul said, look, I am... I am persuaded that I am completely secure in Christ, that I am eternally secure in Him, that nothing's going to be able to separate me, not my doubts, not my fears, no, no force, no power here on this earth or in heaven above can separate me from the love of God. I'm completely secure. F.B. Meyer wrote about two Germans who wanted to climb the Matterhorn. They hired three guides and began their ascent at the steepest and most slippery part. The men roped themselves together in this order, in this order guide first, then traveler, then guide, then traveler, then guide. And they had gone only a little way up the, slot, the side when the last man lost his footing. 
he was held up temporarily by the other four, because each had a toehold in the niches they had cut in the ice. But then the next man slipped, and he pulled down the two above him. The only one to stand firm was the first guide who had driven a spike deep into the ice. Because he held his ground, all the men beneath him regained their footing. Here's the application there. Um, We are like one of those men who slipped and fallen. And I already asked for a raise of hands of the perfect Christians in the room, and no hands went up. So that would say to me that every one of us has slipped, has fallen, has sinned. Okay? But thank God we are all bound to a living partnership to Christ because He stands, we will never perish. And we will never be separated from the love of God. Again, because we're part of His family, and, and here uh, we, we know that um, in Christ, we are in Christ, and, and, and nothing can separate us from that, that particular relationship. Okay, a few more here. And uh, boy, I, I, I'm not getting very far. <laughs> Ephesians chapter number 1. But it's still precious, and I don't mind taking some time to relish in the truth here. It's valuable for us to look at the Scriptures, see what it says, appreciate what it says, apply what it says. Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 4. Paul says this, According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. So we are, we are chosen in him that when we're in him, we're going to be, uh, we're going to be um, holy and without blame before him in love. Um, again, if you take this by itself and say, well, this points to the eternal... You, you, you compare all these scriptures and you put them all together. They form an overwhelming, convincing case that, hey, we're in Christ. We are not going to be, this isn't a temporary thing. This isn't a, you know, you're on probation and try to be a good boy or a good girl and maybe you'll stay in his family. No, this is, you, you've been adopted into the family, verse 5. You having predestinated us unto the adoption of children. And from what I understand about adoption is adopted children have the same rights as a blood child. And they need to be part of the same uh, inheritance and those type of things as much as a, a blood child would be. And so you and I as Christians have been adopted into his family and we have the same rights. We can't be unadopted <laughs> uh, from his family. All right, Ephesians 4, let's look at a couple more here. Ephesians 4 and verse number 30. I mentioned that we can quench the Spirit, we can grieve the Spirit. Here's verse 30, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day that you decide that you don't want to be in church anymore. No, you're sealed unto the day of redemption. You're sealed into the day when you, this, this life is over and, and, and you're in His presence. You're sealed. He has sealed us, and, and no, nothing's going to change that. 
So we are sealed unto the day of redemption. Okay, 1 Peter chapter number 1. Let me at least get through uh, these here, and then, um, and then we'll, we'll handle some, some challenging verses next week, okay? We'll, we'll look at what, the, what, what others say, um, what other people who believe in not the eternal security of the believer, they believe that you can lose your salvation, the verses they, they look at that. We'll, we'll talk about those next week, but let's look at a couple more here. 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter number 1. And verse number 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. But then, look at this, verse 5. Who are kept by the power of God. Not by your own power, not by your good works and by your good behavior. No, you are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. What a, what a powerful uh, way to put that, Peter. He, he, we are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Okay, one more reference and a couple of, couple of thoughts, and then we'll, we'll wrap it up here for tonight. 1 John chapter number 5. 1 John chapter 5 and verse number 11. It says, This is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. And John says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that you have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. So, eternal life, everlasting life. We are in his hands, and he gives unto us eternal life, and we shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of his hand. We are a part of his family. We are sons of God. We are, um, we, we've been adopted into his family, and, 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 and nothing shall separate us from the love of God. Look, all these form a convincing argument for the eternal security of the believer. And some people object to the doctrine of eternal security, arguing that it encourages people then to live sinful lives without fear of the consequences. Hey, once saved, always saved. I'm a believer, so it doesn't really matter what I do then. It means then I can kind of live for myself, and hey, I'm, right, I'm going to still be in heaven. I mean, it's all under the blood, right? And, and that's, that's, that's what people who argue against it believe. However, this objection misunderstands the nature of salvation. See, true salvation produces a change in the heart and mind of the believer, resulting in a desire to live a holy and godly life. Paul asked the question in Romans, and I brought it up last Wednesday night. Uh, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? 
And the answer, he said, was what? Two words. God forbid. How shall we, who are dead to sin, live any longer therein? He said, absolutely not. This isn't, yes, we're saved, but that does not then give us a license to sin. Um, and, and yes, we are eternally secure in the beloved and we're accepted in the beloved, but that does not give us a license to go and live however we want and live for ourselves. But when we do sin, when we do fall, when we do slip, uh, like in climbing the mountain illustration there, we have one who is firmly planted and his name is Jesus and he's not letting go. And he's going to hold us all up. We are kept by the power of God. During initial construction of the Golden Gate Bridge, no safety devices were used. How many have been to the Golden Gate Bridge? Uh, we've been there a few times, a couple times. But when they were building that, there were no safety devices uh, that were used during the initial construction. And, and as a result, 23 men fell to their deaths during that initial stage of construction. But for the final part of the project, a large net was then used as a safety precaution. So they finally decided, you know what? We're losing too many men here. Let's put a giant, uh, a giant net underneath there to protect them. And once that net was in place, at least 10 men fell into that net and were saved from certain death. But even more interesting, though, is the fact that 25% more work was accomplished after the net was installed. Why? Well, because the men then had the assurance of their safety, and they were free to wholeheartedly serve the project. Okay, Christian brother, Christian sister, do you get the point? See, once we understand that in Christ we're secure, it's not a performance-based salvation to get salvation or to keep salvation. But because we are secure, let's, let's wholeheartedly put our hearts into serving the Lord Jesus Christ with our lives. Not because of fear of falling and losing our salvation, but because we have the assurance that we are going to always be saved. Um, I am thankful for the eternal security of the believer. Blessed assurance is a song that, went, went, that many times we sing here at Cornerstone. It's a wonderful, beautiful hymn, Blessed Assurance. And um, I'm thankful that uh, he has given us this confidence and this, uh, this truth. May we all be convinced of it, not based on, well, that's what Cornerstone Baptist Church believes, though it is, but may we be convinced of it because that's what God's Word overwhelmingly points to. Again, there's a couple challenging passages we'll look at next week. Where we're going to explain what those passages are and what I firmly believe they are saying about this very topic. So come back next week and uh, bring your uh, free will Baptist friends. <laughs> um, but I am thankful for the fact that he does the saving, he does the keeping. It's not the perseverance of the saints. It's really the keeping power of God that brings about the eternal security of the believer. And again, may it not cause us to say, well, I'm just going to sit down and do nothing now. 
No, may it, may, it, may, we, may it propel us to live a holy and godly Christian life and to fervently serve the Lord with our hearts and to accomplish all that He wants us to and to desire to please Him, not because we have to gain something or earn something, but because it's already been granted to us. It's a, it's, it's a big difference. I mean, the, the Mormons, um, you know, they, they're, they're pretty active, aren't they? But they're doing it in order to earn salvation. We ought to be active because we've already been gifted salvation. Because we've already received it. So with that, we'll have a word of prayer. And uh, we'll uh, pick it up back up here uh, next week. And I appreciate your attendance tonight. And uh, invite somebody to come with you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for uh, the eternal security of the believer. What, what the scriptures say about it. And Lord, as we've looked at all these passages, Father, I, I thank you that you have, you have promised that you would keep us, you have sealed us under the day of redemption, that Lord, you've given to us the adoption of children, you've called us to be sons of God, those who believe on you. Lord, you've given to us eternal life, everlasting life. You've promised that nothing shall separate us from the love of God. You've promised that no man can pluck us out of your hand and that we're in the tight, loving grip of the Lord Jesus as well as you, our Heavenly Father. God, I, I thank you that uh, these, these, are, these are truths that we can, we can depend upon, Lord, that we can uh, rest upon. And God, may it not cause us to think, well, now I can go live my life my way. But instead to, to say, Lord, thank you for that for the eternal security of the believer. May help me, Lord, to serve you with my heart. Help me to fulfill your perfect will for my life. And uh, Lord, thank you for the word of God that, that, that helps us understand these truths. And uh, Lord, we look forward to learning more and growing as the weeks go on. And uh, Lord, I pray you'd help us to live for you. Bless the time now in prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.